0: As you're taking your seats, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're jumping back into the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're marching our way through the book of Ephesians. If you weren't here over the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you, or maybe you're just visiting, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the two messages prior to this one, because they really lay the foundation for what's coming now through the pen of the Apostle Paul and the, the Spirit of God. This morning, we're looking at the relationship between children and parents, but all of this is predicated upon what came before this which is God's design and plan for marriage and we saw a couple of weeks ago that God has given marriage for many purposes but one of the primary purposes that God gave marriage was for the flourishing and thriving of society as a whole it is the very means by which God is actually creating society and culture it is through the family unit Ultimately, we saw last week that the primary goal of marriage, as God has designed it, is to actually display the beauty of God's relationship with his people. And that happens in the uniqueness of marriage roles. And we saw that last week with the way husbands and wives relate to each other and how that actually displays the beauty of God and his design and his order within himself and with his people. And it's imperative that we understand that marriage, a healthy, thriving marriage, is necessary to have a healthy and thriving family life. And Paul, he launches into what is a very direct and clear delineation between responsibilities of children and parents, and he begins in verse 1 of chapter 6, and he says this. Let's read it together. He says, "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right.'" Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul's words to families are clear in this passage. But when you look at the family unit in the world that we live in today, many have described the kind of family culture that we have in our society today as the age of the broken home. We have been called the fatherless generation. From 1970 till current day, we are being referred to as the fatherless generation. Many of you in this room didn't have parents that were present or maybe parents at all when you grew up. The topic of parents actually brings up in in your heart much pain and hurt, maybe a lot of anger and frustration. Maybe you're here today and you have been mistreated by parents and you've desired throughout your life to have a healthy relationship with your parents and I just want to affirm for you that that is a good and healthy desire. It is a God-given desire and that is what God would have desired for you to have. Many of us live in fractured relationships with our parents. Many of us maybe in this room are living in fractured relationships with our kids in our own home. And one of the things we understand as it relates to every relationship that we live in is that sin has greatly damaged what God has made so precious. All you have to do is look at some statistics to understand how significant the impact is of a broken home in the lives of children. And I think that most of you would already understand this and, and appreciate this and agree with this, but let me just, for some of you, maybe you're wrestling through how serious of an issue this really is. I want to maybe bolster this with some statistics that help us really get a sense of how, how important this topic is. Did you know that more than three in ten people grow up in broken homes? That 70% of all those in a juvenile detention center would have grown up in a broken home. That 57% of prison inmates come from broken homes. That 63% of teen suicides come from broken homes. That 71% of teen pregnancies come from those who grew up in broken homes. This is a very, very real issue. There are massive Emotional, social, educational, and future relational effects that children experience when they grow up in a broken home and in an unhealthy environment. The home is broken down and children thrive. Listen, they thrive when God's design is implemented to its fullest degree and, and to as much as possible in our brokenness and in our sinfulness is possible. When a father and mother are in the home, when they are fulfilling their roles, the way that God has designed and created, it produces an environment where children thrive and families thrive together. And this should come as no surprise to us. Because this is the way that God himself is mimicked or modeled in the life of a home our God is not a God of chaos and confusion but a God of order and structure and so when we look at both marriage and the family what we see is that God has built in structure that actually reflects himself to the world around us so the more and more we lean into what God has created and said is good the more we image God to the broken world around us and we tell them that there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ now I just want to say a word to some of you single parents in here because I really, I'm sensitive to you and some of you are living in situations that you didn't ask for, that you never thought would happen to you. Maybe some of you are living in situations that are a result of your own sin or the sin of somebody else towards you. And I, I just want to, to let you know and affirm for you that you are not less because you are a single parent. In fact, I wanna remind you and encourage you, listen, it doesn't mean that you can't do a great job as a parent, that you can't honor the Lord and that your children can't thrive as well. It doesn't mean that God doesn't give you the grace to be both mom and dad in your situation and that God won't actually put people in your life there to help you where you are lacking. In fact, I would say that God has put you in a family that wants to care for you, wants to help you, wants to serve you and wants to support you in the midst of the trial and the circumstance that you find yourself in. But one of the things we have to acknowledge, whatever situation we're in, whether we're married or single, whether we have kids or not, whether our kids are young or they're grown and moved out of the house, what we see here is that God reminds us that his design for the family is good and right. He is the one who has designed it, and we do not have the right to change what God has instituted from the very beginning of creation. So how do we have healthy relationships? That's the question. Again, if you weren't here for the marriage conversation, you need to go back and listen to that. But this morning what we see is that Paul makes it very clear the responsibilities of both children and parents have towards one another so that the environment is healthy and that they're thriving together. And the first thing Paul says is he he speaks to children, here's what he says. Children, your greatest need is direction. In essence, this is what Paul is telling the children. You need direction in your life. The very sense of of obeying your parents, it implies the idea that you need to be given direction. You need to be steered, especially in the younger years of your life. You need help navigating all of the difficulties and the trials and the temptations that this world throws at you. And God has given you parents to help you and to give the direction that is needed, and Lord willing to lead you in the proper direction. Now, it's helpful to point out, again, that what Paul is doing here is actually flowing out of what he's already said in verse 21. Now, back in chapter 5, verse 21, Paul is summarizing in this this half of Ephesians what it is to walk with the Lord and walk for the Lord, and he's really putting practical steps in terms of our, our theological knowledge and in verse 21, he's actually said this, that in the body of Christ, in the family of God, we are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That every one of us, in the constant of walking in relationships with one another, are going to have to submit to some degree. And some relationships are going to be very clear in terms of what that submission and the following and de- deferring looks like. So what Paul does here is he now takes that idea, that's the umbrella, the submitting to one another, and then he gives us three separate relationships that involve this kind of submitting and this kind of leadership. First, as we saw last week, he looks at wives and husbands, and he says very clearly in verse 2, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, as he moves into, uh, off of husband and wife's roles, he moves into children, and he shows them that they are to be in submission to their parents, to obey them, and to honor them. And then next week, we'll look at the relationship in, in work relationships, slaves and masters he uses here, and how there is a level of authority, and then a followership, and a deferring to the authority. But at the heart of this, again, I need to make this overly clear, what Paul is doing is displaying divine order, that this pattern this way, not simply because of practical purposes, but because the order actually reflects God himself, and it leads to our flourishing, when we function in our roles the way God designed, it leads us. We have to believe this right out the gates. It leads us not to less joy, but to more joy. Not to less satisfaction, but to more satisfaction. Not to less blessing, but to more blessing. You see, when God tells us to do something, it is always for our good. And here, what we see is this that he says the children's greatest need is, is to obey their parents. Notice this in the Lord. And in obeying our parents, we're ultimately, here's what he's saying, in the Lord, we're ultimately obeying God. This, this, by the way, is the same argument that Paul presented for the wife, for, for the wife who has to submit to her husband. You know what he says? You do it as unto the Lord. In other words, when you submit to your husband, you're ultimately actually showing your submission to the Lord God himself. When you lovingly submit yourself to your husband, you're actually showing how much you love God. In the same way, he says to children, children, do you realize that when you submit to your parents, you are actually submitting to God himself? When you lovingly obey your parents and honor your parents, you are lovingly obeying and honoring God first and foremost. Now, I I think... We all understand that in any kind of relationship, submission or following and obeying is hard work. Our children, if you didn't know this, parents, I mean, children disobey often, amen? Like, it's just the norm, it feels like, in certain seasons of life. It's constant, and by the way, I, I can't help but think, anytime we talk about children with parents, I can't help running directly to our relationship as children with God our Father, You sometimes we get frustrated. You know, if you're anything like me, Um, you get frustrated with the level of disobedience with your kids sometimes, and you're like, "Is this ever going to end?" And God always rebukes me in that, and He always brings back. Like Ian, how do you think I feel about you? Is this ever going to end? But I, I think here we need to be reminded, listen, every time we stumble and fall, and every time our children stumble and fall and they fail to obey, as Christians, one of the things we need to do really quickly is we need to remind them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what God constantly wants us to do in our own lives, to run back to the gospel in our sinfulness, to be reminded, listen, that there is forgiveness and grace that is lavished upon us To be reminded that God promises to provide, by the way, the resources to obey. I I think it's so encouraging to be reminded in our own lives, when we think that we don't have it in us, we need to be reminded that that is absolutely true, but God gives us what we need, and he's made it very clear intentionally in Ephesians 5.18, that God gives his spirit to us, and that we are called to be being filled with the spirit, because that is the very resource God gives us to become the kind of people he is calling us to be in the relationships he's given us. Paul tells children that they must obey and he actually gives them some reasons and I think this is so helpful for our hearts this morning he says simply this children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right and every parent said amen right this is my life verse for my kids right here this is right for you to do and you say well what exactly does he mean by saying this is right I think in one sense what Paul is communicating is that this is normal and that this is right because God has built it and woven it into the very fabric of our relationships. Every culture you go to and any time in history, you'll find that children were always expected to obey their parents. It has always been right. It will always be right. It's the very thing that God himself has designed and woven into us. But I also think that what he's talking about is that it is right because God is making it clear through divine revelation. In the Old Testament, God gives us the Ten Commandments, formative principles and truths to build our lives upon. And the fifth commandment is to honor our father and mother. And Paul here reminds us that this is the first commandment that came with a promise what Paul does here is he tells us what the promise is, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What Paul is actually doing here is he's taking a part of Exodus 20, verse 12, in Deuteronomy 5, 16, and he's kind of blending them together to build this case. You see, the original promise that God made was to Israel, and it involved uh, living long and, and a good life in the land of Israel, the promised land that he had given to his children But Paul here omits the focus on Israel and makes the statement more general and in one sense proverbial. He's saying, listen, this is generally true that if you obey your parents, it's going to go well for you, that you're going to have a better life and a longer life. The amount of times I almost died because I didn't listen to my parents is probably through the roof. But here what we see is that what Paul is emphasizing is the help and the benefit it is to obey Our parents. It provides structure and order. It provides protection and care. It provides the opportunities for children to grow and mature and flourish. It shows them how much their parents care about them, and more importantly, how much God cares about them. One of the things I I constantly reinforce with our kids, and we say this even in, in church, when God gives us laws and rules and God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself, Right? God's not this cosmic killjoy up there just saying, how can I ruin everybody's fun? What can I stop them from doing that they're really going to love and it's really going to benefit them? God doesn't operate like that. It's the opposite. God looks at what will hurt us and harm us and lead not to flourishing, but our destruction. And what he does is he says, listen, I love you so much and I care about your well-being so much. I am going to tell you some things and tell you not to do some things so that you, and by the way, a lot of these things, you may not realize the importance at the time, but hopefully one day you will see the value of them. That's parenting, isn't it? Parenting, especially with young kids, when you can't explain it to them, you're just saying, just trust me. I, I know, I know you don't get it right now. I know you don't believe me, but you need to just trust that this is for your good. I'm not doing this to ruin all your fun. We say this a lot around here too, and we say this in our home. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Right? This is the biblical principle. You reap what you sow. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer, but the awesome truth about this, you know what I love about this passage? When Paul is talking about um, motivating children, you wanna know what he doesn't do? He doesn't threaten them, do you notice that? I mean, how often in our parenting are our threats our biggest weapon against trying to motivate our kids? You, you don't wanna do that, don't test me, kid. Right? You, oh, you don't wanna know what's gonna happen if you do that. But, but what I love, listen, and there's a place for threats because consequences are real, but, I, but I, what I love about this is he doesn't motivate with negative threats here. He motivates with a positive emphasis of blessing and betterment. Isn't that awesome? I mean, how much more should we take that into our parenting and use that for our kids' good to say, listen, I love you so much. I love you more than you can possibly fathom at this moment in your life. And one day when you have kids, you'll have a glimpse of what it means to love a child like I love you. And I just want you to know, I am for you. I am for your growth and your flourishing. I want what's best for you in every single way. And so when I'm saying, don't do this, I am saying, child, I love you and I want to see you grow beyond where I'm even at. You see, you choose obedience and you choose blessing. Every time. Every time. Every time you choose sin, you open up a door that says, I would like to suffer. That's what you're saying without realizing. I I want consequences of sin. I want hardships. I want difficulties. That's what you say whenever you open the door of sin. But every time you open the door of obedience to God, you're saying this, I want blessings. I want to be underneath the flow of God's divine blessing and grace. I want what God wants for me. I want health in my spiritual walk with the Lord. I want to do what's right for him. We need to teach our children, and we ourselves need to be reminded of the importance of choosing obedience, and as a result, choosing blessings. He says in verse 2 that children are to honor their father and mother. The word honor there is a really important word to understand. It's a very intentional word that Paul chooses. I think it's important to understand that as we go through different stages of our life, our relationship with our parents change. I had somebody come up to me after the service and said, okay, this says to honor your father and mother. Um, does, that mean I have, does that also apply to, to um, mother-in-laws and father-in-laws? <laughs> I was like, I'll let you work that one out. But our relationship with our parents goes through vast changes in our lives, and that's okay. And, and I think it's helpful to understand that parents, listen, we are raising our children with the mentality that we are releasing them, right? And that's the opposite of the way that many of us are raising our children. We're raising them as if we want them in our lives forever, that we're going to hold on to them forever and ever and ever, right? It's like fishing, catch and release, all right? We raise them up and we let them go. So if that's your mentality, you understand what you must be doing to make sure the relationship with them is healthy and thriving. And by the way, encouraging them to honor you at different stages in their life. It doesn't matter what stage of life we're in. We must honor our parents. That should be clear from this passage. Honor your father and mother. As a young child, that looks mainly like obedience. As an independent adult, it looks very different. Let me give you what I think is a helpful statement to help you get your arms around what it looks like to honor your parents, maybe at the older stages of your life, the adult stages of your life. One author put it like this, it's the unsentimental moral nucleus of your relationship with your parents. Let me say that again. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's really, really important to understand this. It's the unsentimental moral nucleus of your relationship with your parents, honor is, I think this is a helpful definition, just just let's unpack this for a second. It's unsentimental, meaning that it has nothing to do with how you feel. You don't honor your parents because you feel like it. You don't honor them because they have deserved it. You honor them because of who they are in your life, because of the position and role that God has given them, regardless of how they may be living or how they may have treated you. There is a certain kind of honor that can be given to our parents, even if we disagree on the most fundamental issues of life. There are no conditions here. It's the moral nucleus, meaning it's a moral obligation and it is a lifelong obligation. It is in one sense to decide to treat them with dignity, courtesy, and long-term loyalty to their best interest. This is so helpful for us to understand because there's a lot of confusion, I think, in people's minds of how they honor their parents as they get older. It doesn't mean that we affirm all of their decisions. It doesn't mean that we agree with them and take their opinions as our own. But it is an obligation. It is something that we must choose to give to them. And as we honor them, we are actually honoring the Lord. Godly parents strive to give godly direction to their children. But children, I, I, I see some, there are some children in here, some of you parents, you, you knew we were talking about this this morning, you wisely brought your kids in, like, you know, listen up, kid, pay attention. I just, some of you young kids in here today, let me just talk to you for a minute. God has put parents in your life for a reason. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that. God loves you, and he cares for you, and he's actually put parents in your life, and by the way, your parents aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes, and I just want to encourage you to have a lot of grace for your parents. One day you'll be a parent too, maybe. It's hard to understand this and process this, probably at this point in your life, but one day you're going to realize how difficult it is to be a parent, the challenges that come with being a parent. But God is calling you as children to honor him by honoring your parents, by obeying your parents, even when you may disagree and even when you think you know better, which you most likely do not. You're welcome, parents. You can talk to me there. We tell our kids often at home to obey right away without delay, all the way, and with a happy heart. (laughs) That last part's a lot tougher to enforce. But you know what we're trying to get at in our kids is that it's not just about doing the right things, it's about doing the right things the right way, with the right attitude. And it's hard, and and the reason this is so hard is because if you're going to parent well, it takes so much more time and effort and energy. It's hard having a lot of these conversations and digging in deep. It's so much easier to just tell the kids to do the right thing and smarten up. But we want our kids to obey right away. By the way, we tell our kids all the time that delayed obedience is disobedience. And by the way, this is the way it works with God, isn't it? For all of us. When God gives us commands, he doesn't say, okay, I want you to take this away and think about it for a few days and then come back to me. He doesn't say that, he says when you see what my word says and you understand that it is true, it doesn't matter what you think and it doesn't matter what you want to do, you need to humble yourself and you need to believe that what God says is better by far than what sin is offering to you. Your way is not better than God's way. Your will is not better than God's will. God's will is better every single time. So every follower of Christ, we need to hear these words to obey right away, all the way, right? With a happy heart. This is what God is concerned about in every single follower of Jesus Christ. Not simply that we do the right things, but we have a heart that longs to please him. He rebuked the Pharisees over and over and over again because, yes, they did the external things, but their heart was far from God. They're cleaning the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy, He rebuked Israel over and over and over again because they thought that they could just go through the religious motions, do the religious things without having a heart that loved God and legitimately, genuinely wanted to please him. This is the starting place for all obedience. It goes to the heart, motives, and longing to see God as the authority in our lives, not us sitting on the throne in our own lives. He says, what does it look like? To honor a parent as adults. I, I, I want to give you some suggestions. This is not exhaustive, but maybe it would be helpful to think about this. Regardless of the relationship that you have with your parents, here's what you need to consider in honoring your parents today. If you're, if you're a grown adult, which most of you are. The first is this. Consider what's culturally appropriate. I think there's a bit of subjectiveness to what it means to honor our parents and some of us come from different cultures where honor and respect actually looks a little bit differently. There's certain things you can do that show honor and respect and what I would say to you children who are maybe coming from maybe a different ethnic background uh, with different kind of traditions in your family, I would say don't throw those out entirely. I know there's a tendency to want to do that, but if you want to honor your parents, look at what is honoring to them and consider that in how you behave towards them. You can honor them without, again, making it clear that you, sorry, you can honor them without stating that you agree with them and and that you are behind them in every way. That's certainly not always possible. Here's a second way you can maybe honor your parents. Seek their input and wisdom. Even as they're older and further down the road in life than you, I mean, seek their input and wisdom. That's such a sweet way of honoring your parents. And every once in a while, take their counsel and advice. I'm sure that would honor some of your parents. Here's a third way. Speak well of them. Speak well of them to others. Don't throw them under the bus. Don't talk poorly about them. Speak well of them. And when you speak to them, speak well to them. Even if you disagree with them. Speak with grace and kindness in how you treat them and how you speak to them. Here's another way. Look for ways that you can bless and serve them. And I would just say this is part of built into what it meant to honor somebody in the ancient world. As parents were older and they couldn't work as much anymore, it was commonplace for children to begin to care for their parents. Think of ways that you can bless and serve them. Here's here's another way. Give them credit for what they've done right. Don't just criticize what they did wrong. Actually go to them. Pick up the phone every once in a while. Call your mother. Tell her how much you appreciate and value what she has done for you and the good things that she instilled in you. Here's another thing you can do. Forgive them. I think some of us in here have really terrible relationships with our parents Some of us have been deeply wounded by our parents and and we've actually, listened. some of us need to hear this, you've deeply wounded your parents too. And there needs to be a really sweet spirit of forgiveness, gentleness, a seeking to repair and restore relationships where possible. As much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Parents are certainly included in that. We are built for family love. This is the way that God designed it. Yes, we hurt one another. That's actually a part of being in a family in this broken world. But in God's grace, we can forgive one another. God actually calls us to do so, not because people are worthy of it, not because they've deserved it or earned it, but because we have been forgiven much in Christ. Amen? We extend forgiveness because He has extended it to us. And some of us in here, I'll just say this finally, some of us in here have had the unique privilege of having parents who love and respect us and we love and respect them. Can I just tell you that that actually is becoming very unique in our world today? And if that's you, if you have parents that you love, and I put put myself in that category, I'm so thankful for the parents I have. Not perfect by any stretch, but man, do I ever love them and cherish them and respect them? And do they ever love and cherish and respect me? And can I just tell you, one of the best things you can do if you've had that situation is to value that, to thank God for that, and to go and thank your parents for that. It's a precious gift that we can give to them in a sweet way. We can honor them. There's a few thoughts for you, but here Paul actually begins to turn and speaks more directly to parents and our responsibility, and so let's look at that for a moment here. Parents, he says, your greatest responsibility is discipleship. Arguably, Christian, your greatest responsibility is discipleship. But for sure, parents, if God has blessed you with children, you need to realize this. God has put little lives in your life for the sole purpose of you beginning to shape them and mold them and lead them to Jesus Christ. It is one of the greatest responsibilities and the greatest privileges that God can give to any individual on this earth. The joy of leading people to Jesus, of having so much influence and impact in their young lives Here, Paul kind of shifts gears. You'll notice in verse 4, he says, fathers. Now, before that, he said to children to obey your parents, to honor your father and mother. But now, he's driving more specifically and directly at fathers. Men, buckle up again. I know last week was a lot to swallow, but guess what? There's a lot more coming from the word of God for us. Why, why does he focus in on fathers? Listen, the simple reason is because of the unique role that God gives to you in leading your family in the things of the Lord. In the same way that the focus was more heavily weighted on husbands in that relationship with husbands and wives, so too, fathers get the greater weight of responsibility and the greater weight of accountability before the Lord. One day, husbands, fathers, we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account to how we led not only our wives and not and our children. We will stand before God and he will say, did you lead them well in the things of me? Did you lead them well in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Did you point them to Jesus Christ? You will stand and give an account for that in a way your wife will not. That's heavy. And as it should be. Because what is at stake in our discipleship of our children and of every single person that we have the privilege of leading and shaping and shepherding, listen, is this reality. Their soul is eternal. It's eternal. They will live forever. Either under the presence of God's blessing or under the presence of God's wrath. And In God's unique design, he uses us. And this is a precious thing, this is such a beautiful thing and it is a weighty thing and this is something we need to take so seriously. If God has given you a child, what a privilege it is to show them Jesus. Men, while your day-to-day commitments may mean that your wife maybe does more of the nurture and admonition of your children, by virtue as of your role, excuse me, as the leader of your home, you bear a greater weight of responsibility in determining, listen, and in fleshing out how you guys together are leading your family. This is all about one flesh. If there's any issue that you need to be one flesh about, unified upon, it is in how you are raising your children. I can't tell you how often I come across parents who fundamentally disagree on their philosophy of parenting and are constantly at odds with each other. Listen, children pick up on this really quickly. Do you realize that? I mean, you've seen this, right? Just played out. Kids, kids look for cracks in the foundation of your marriage, and they get really good at it. Uh, we see this all the time, right? One, one kid will, you know, one morning they will come in and say, hey, dad, can I have a, a popsicle? No, son, it's 6.30 in the morning. And the beeline right to their mom. Mom, can I have a popsicle? Uh, did you ask your dad? Uh, maybe is often how it goes in my house. Children love to divide and conquer, right? They love to get in there and to separate parents. But listen, listen, parents, you need to be so unified on what you're doing and so supportive and encouraging in one another, affirming one another. Husbands, affirming your wife as she is implementing all the things that you have decided together are best for your family. Wives, not undercutting your husband in terms of implementing what you guys have determined is best for your family, working together, showing your kids that you are a unified front for their good and for the glory of God. This is worth fighting for and getting on the same page about, believe me. Fathers, you cannot be passive in the parenting process. You must be actively engaged in leading your family in the things of the Lord. there's a warning here. Because this is so serious, and because of maybe our tendencies as fathers and as men, the way that God has wired us to potentially be more destructive in our relationships, less gracious and gentle, here's what, what Paul says to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, Paul is writing to a culture where the father had absolute authority and control unquestioned authority and control. What the father said to the children, the children were obliged to obey right away. It was often an environment where there was abuse, where children were unloved, treated more like possessions. And here, Paul reminds us not to provoke our children. And the word there really implies this, not exasperating them, not being unreasonable in our demands upon them, Not to do things that will drive them towards anger, to despair and resentment. In fact, in the parallel passage in Colossians, Paul says, parents, fathers, don't don't discourage your children. Listen, we have an ability to bring life and to build up our young children or to crush them and to strip away life from them. One of the most common ways of provoking our children, I believe, is through unrealistic rules in the home or excessive discipline. Most of the time, this is unintentional, but parents can often place too many restrictions on their children, hover over them at every turn, require things that are just unbelievable demands upon them. It's possible that maybe, as a parent, you haven't adjusted your guidance and the rules in your home to suit your child's age and maturity. You need to be thinking more carefully about that. Our goal is to raise them and release them, and so that requires that over time, as they grow older, there is, you move from a place of less independence to a place of more independence. And you're giving them opportunities to thrive and to flourish and to grow. You're allowing them to fail at things. You're giving them tasks that you know are too much for them, but you believe will help build character and will build dependence on others in the process. You need to hear this. Some of you really need to hear this. You are doing great damage to your children by restricting them, by being a hover parent to them, and you're not preparing them for what the world will throw at them. I understand that there is wisdom, and you need to be very careful, and and I I understand you've got to apply biblical principles in this, so I'm not looking for a free-for-all. In fact, one of the things I think is a a problem on the other end of the spectrum is not overprotection, but overindulgence giving them whatever they want, giving them too much freedom, never holding them accountable, no rules and no structure. Listen, parents, children need structure. They do need rules. They just need to be realistic and they need to suit the age of the child. Let me give you a few other ways that parents, we can exasperate children. Maybe you're kind of processing and wondering if you're down a path of provoking them. Favoritism. Show favoritism to another child in the home or constantly compare one child to the other or, or your child to somebody else's child. Always ask them things like, how come you're not like your brother? Why don't you behave more like uh, those people's kids? Neglect them. Be way too busy at work. Be way too busy with your thing. Focus all of your attention and time on you and not them. Criticize them constantly. You want to provoke your children? Just constantly criticize them. Berate them. Make them feel like they're worthless. Make them feel like they can't accomplish anything. Always point out the errors and never affirm them. Never encourage them. Never celebrate the victories. Here's the biggest one. Lastly, listen. Show, show them what, what spiritual hypocrisy looks like. Be the kind of parent that says, do what I say, not what I do. You want to make sure your child is provoked to anger, discouragement, Be the kind of parent who says you love Jesus and are trying to follow Jesus, but you don't actually do it. Take the word of God and beat them over the head with it. Use it like a club, not a treasure to behold. Parents, if you beat your children with the word of God, they will shrink from it when they are young and flee from it when they live independently. And in contrast to this, listen, Paul actually gives us the better way forward. He says, don't provoke them. And in contrast, he says, but bring them up. That's such an important word. That verb that Paul uses there is the same verb that he uses for husbands and how they lovingly nourish their wives. It implies a sort of gentleness and a care, not a harshness. It implies this, this beautiful kind of gentleness towards the children, a gracious and loving approach to bring them up, to nourish them, to care for them in such a sweet way. And listen, discipleship requires instructing your children in this way because we are pointing them towards the grace and love of Jesus Christ, aren't we? And so if we don't behave like Jesus and how we teach them, we're not showing them Jesus, even if we're trying to tell them about Jesus. And he says it so clearly here, don't provoke your children to anger, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. this, This is it. This is what qualifies everything. It is all about the Lord, parents. It is discipling them towards Jesus Christ. Your primary goal, parents, you need to hear this. You desperately need to hear this in today's world, in today's culture, in today's society. Your primary goal is not to make your kids' lives better than your own. That's fantastic if it happens, but it should not be your primary goal. Your primary goal in this life is not to live vicariously through your children so that they accomplish all your hopes and dreams and desires. Your primary goal is not that your kids would grow up to be rich and famous and successful in the world's eyes. Your primary goal should not be that your kids grow up to be some famous actor or a, a this, you know, athlete It shouldn't be that they have the best job, a doctor or a lawyer. Those things are all great and they're all noble things for our kids to strive for. Listen, our goal is to point our children to Jesus Christ. That is the one primary goal that God will hold us most accountable to. How did you show them Jesus? How did you instruct them and discipline them in the Lord? We are striving to raise our children to know and to love and to follow Jesus. There is nothing better a parent can experience than their child surrendering their life to Jesus Christ. Amen? parents, you have such a sweet, amazing privilege. We believe wholeheartedly that God is responsible for changing their hearts. We believe that. We believe that God must do the work in their hearts to open them up, to soften them, to illuminate the truth, to show them their sin. We believe that God must do all of that, but we also believe that God longs to use us in the process. And this is to be an ongoing pursuit in our homes. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the Shema. I mean, we talk about it every parent-child dedication. Parents, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then the whole emphasis is on how we then begin to talk about the things of the Lord. Always saturated in the scriptures. Everywhere we go. Every time of day. All the time our lives are to be consumed with the things of the Lord. Don't separate, parents, for your kids. Don't don't create this false dichotomy between certain parts of their life and their spiritual life. Everything in their life is an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation. Every single thing. Teach them all the time as you're walking with them, as you're watching shows with them, as you're playing games with them, as you're sitting around the table having a meal together, as you're working on homework together. Teach them the history of God. Teach them the word of God. Teach them the holiness of God. Show them his character, his holiness, his perfection, his sovereignty, his majesty, his beauty. Help them understand their own condition as a sinner in need of God's grace. Give them the hope of the salvation that can be found in Jesus Christ. Talk often about forgiveness and grace and mercy. Tell them how God longs to reconcile them to him, that he has created them to enjoy a unique and privileged relationship with the creator of the universe. Teach them that they must surrender their lives, that they must declare publicly that Jesus is their Lord and master. Teach them and show them that there's nothing else worth living for with the name and fame of Jesus Christ. Your children don't need greater self-esteem, parents. The human problem is not that we love ourselves too little, but we love ourselves too much. Self-esteem is the world's way of saying, I don't need God. Teach your kids how much they need God. Help form godly habits in their lives. Prayer, reading the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures as a family, meditating upon them, thinking about how they apply to life. Use language that is clear, patient, thorough, and persistent. If you're going to do this, it's going to take a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. This is how we instruct our children in the Lord. It's so critical. And you'll notice here that he also tells us that discipline is critical. Here Paul says, we raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you see here he's referring specifically to corrective discipline. In the same vein of discipleship, he's telling us that this is actually a different thing than formative instruction, but the two actually overlap. They actually play off of one another. Intentional discipling is laying the groundwork for effective discipline, and the Word of God says a lot about discipline. All you, you just read through Proverbs. It's like a parenting manual. Over and over and over again, it talks about uh, the need for children to experience discipline in their lives and how the correction, and how, by the way, a godly person ends up loving correction and discipline. They love it because they realize that they need help and that they want to be godly. And every opportunity to discipline is an opportunity to share the gospel with your kids. I'll never forget my daughter sitting on the edge of her bed. You know, we were going through that season a few years back, and she's just, you know, just tears in her eyes. And, you know, she's in trouble again and struggling to obey. And she looks at me in the eyes, and she simply says, Dad, can you just explain to me how this works again? If you love me, why do you discipline me? There's hardly a moment that goes by in those especially more serious disciplining matters where we don't pause and reflect upon the gospel of God's grace. And how in Hebrews chapter 12, the word of God tells us that God disciplines every child whom he loves. Every child of God gets disciplined when we're off the path, when we're walking in sin. And the reality is, if you're not getting disciplined, you're not a what? Child. Child. And God's grace. Listen, and every I remember looking at my daughter and saying, the reason I discipline you is because I love you. I love you so much. I want you to do what is right. I want you to experience the blessings of God in your life, not just now, but in the future. I want you to faithfully follow him with every part of your being. I want you to be someone who loves God and lives for God. And here's the reality. Listen, you need to understand that when God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. When I say don't, it says, I'm saying don't hurt yourself. You see, our discipline in those moments reminds our children and they should remind us, by the way, that God is our authority. We are not in control, that we are responsible for our actions and our behavior, and we will one day give an account for them. And it teaches us and it teaches our children this constant reminder of God's faithful love even in the midst of our sin. If we're going to parent biblically, we need to understand that our objective is to go after the hearts of our kids. The worldly perspective in parenting focuses mainly on behavior modification, and this is what secular psychology focuses on um, with adults and children alike. It's all about changing your behavior. While this is important and behaviors do need to change because they can be destructive and damaging, without focusing on the heart, it's dangerous and spiritually disastrous simply to go after behavior modification. In fact, Dealing with behavior only is like dealing with the weed problem in your yard by simply mowing your lawn. And the Bible teaches us that the heart is the control center for life. Everything we do flows out of the heart. It's mission control center. All of your thoughts, all of your emotions, all of your will flows from your heart. This is why Jesus says in Mark chapter 7:21 that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so oftentimes, as parents and as Christians, we're, we're focused on the behaviors and failing to see that the behaviors are simply manifestations of the heart problem. And if we are only dealing with behaviors, the heart is never changing. So, uh, parents, we wonder why our kids don't change. We wonder why things don't get any different, because we're not getting after the heart. Christian, you're wondering why you struggle to change. You're wondering why you can't stop a certain pattern of behavior, because you're not getting to the heart of the problem. You're not addressing the issue. You're addressing the symptoms. When it comes to corrective discipline, we need to go right to the heart. We need to begin to ask questions that get to their motivation and their attitudes. When they hit their sibling, we need to stop, not, not just simply say, don't hit them. Stop doing that. That's the easy way to parent. I, I, I've been there, done that, and I still do it every once in a while to my shame. Right? Sometimes in the moment you can't always get to the heart. But listen, if we get in these patterns, we're missing opportunities to bring them to the gospel. We're missing opportunities to shape and mold their hearts. When they hit their sibling, it's a great opportunity to stop and to t- teach them what's happening in their heart. Why did you do that? Well, because they had my car. Well, how did that make you feel? Angry. Well, Why did you respond that way? Because I wanted it. It's mine. Oh, so what you're saying is that your desires and your selfishness allows you to do whatever you want to anybody else. You see how that works? Do you see how when we show our kids the heart of the issue, we can actually now take the word of God and apply it to the root problem? It's your selfishness. It's your pride. And it's manifesting in this way. So let's learn what Jesus says about being selfless and loving one another This is why discipline is one of your greatest opportunities, parents. You're unmasking your child's sin and showing them how their heart really functions and how true change can occur. Better yet, you're constantly showing them their need for a savior. Every opportunity is to remind our children of the grace of God. Yep, you sinned again. Daddy sins again. Daddy sins all the time too. And praise God for his grace. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his kindness. Jesus... In the Gospels, remember the story, his disciples are around him and he's busy with ministry and there's some children who want to come to Jesus and his disciples are like pushing them away, he doesn't have time for kids and Jesus pauses in the moment and he rebukes his disciples and he says to them, let the little children come to me. In that story, we see the heart of Jesus towards our children, don't we? In our discipling parents, listen, we are taking our children to Jesus. We want them to see that Jesus is so beautiful, that Jesus is so worthy, that Jesus is so loving, that he is so gentle, that he is so kind and gracious. We want them to see that Jesus is so merciful and forgiving that they can always run to Jesus. We want them to come to see Jesus and to see that he is so worthy of surrendering their lives to him, and we're leading them to the throne of grace in our discipline and in our instruction, teaching them that God, our Father, is constantly doing that for us. This is the way that God treats me, his child. He constantly leads me back to Jesus. He constantly reminds me of who I am in him. He constantly reminds me that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no more shame, no more guilt. He's paid for it all on the cross, and that's freely yours to be enjoyed grace in our failures we need that amen parents grace in our rebellion grace in our daily pursuit of Christ and as we strive to show our kids Jesus we ourselves constantly need to set our eyes upon Jesus and we ourselves need to constantly be captivated by him I said it last week and I'll say it again we cannot teach what we do not know and we cannot lead where we will not go Parents, the key to leading your children to Jesus is to be much with Jesus yourself. The key to teaching your children to love Jesus is to love Jesus much yourself. The key to showing your children and teaching them how great your Lord and Savior is is to regularly show them how great he is to you. And out of the overflow of that pursuit in your life, pray with all of the fervor and all of the passion you can muster that amidst all of your failures and mistakes, by the grace and power of God himself, he will lead your children to the foot of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you and your kindness have led us to the foot of the cross. God, as children who are wandering and straying and living in rebellion, yet in your kindness and in your mercy, God, you you pursued us and you, Lord, sought us out while we were yet sinners. In the darkness and in the filth of our own sin and rebellion, God, you lavished your grace upon us. You opened our eyes to the beauty of the truth of the gospel. You brought us in your kindness to repentance. And you showed us, Lord, that there is hope to be found in Jesus Christ, that you can take what is broken, what is failed, what is ugly, and you can repair it and restore it and reconcile it, That God, by your power and your grace, you can make what is ugly, beautiful. You can take what is broken and you can bring healing. And God, all of us, as we sit here this morning, we're so aware of our need for your grace in our lives. We're so in awe, Lord, that you would love us like that. That you would lavish your grace upon us. We are so undeserving, Lord. We declare that boldly, Lord. We are so unworthy of your grace. And yet daily, Lord, you pour it out in abundance upon us, your children. And Father, we're asking for more of your grace this morning. God, may your grace in this moment lead us to repentance. God, I pray that there would be a sweet spirit of brokenness in this place. Lord, where you would be increasing humility in our hearts, contrition over sin, over failures. Lord, over relationships that are estranged and unreconciled. And that, God, you in your kindness would remind us of the hope of the gospel. Of how great you are. Of how every good and perfect gift comes from you. And whatever role you've given us, Lord, the privilege maybe of many of us here to disciple kids and to raise them, Lord, we need your grace. For all of us, Lord, as children of yours, we need your grace. So God, would you thrill us again this morning with your grace? Stir our hearts, Lord, that we might sing the praises of your name, the God of grace. It is by your grace and for your glory we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.